Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world and mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 41, and we are recording on Wednesday, December 19th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Renzi Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Happy almost Christmas. Oh, yes. Hi, Rincy. It is almost <laughs> Christmas. Guess who hasn't done any of their gift wrapping yet? Oh, oh! I thought you were going to say shopping. And oh, I was no, no, be- no. I did that in about 30 minutes because the internet is a beautiful yes, thing. It really um, is. No, I've gotten most of the Christmas shopping done except for my, for my little... I, she's not technically my niece because she's my cousin's daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but so she's my she's my cousin niece. Um, she was our flower girl in the wedding, and I have to do Christmas shopping for her. Yeah. But other than that, I've got everything done. I just haven't wrapped anything. Oh yeah, I definitely have not wrapped anything at all. And it's really funny because my sister's daughter, she's like nine or eight. Um, she like had me buy, like she like gave me money. She's like, I want to buy my mom this, so I like bought it for her. And so now she's like, I need you to wrap the present. I'm like, girl, I don't do this until like the very last minute. (laughs) And also I'm a terrible rapper. (laughs) Yeah, Blaine is going to be out of he's going to be out of the house for a few days. He's going to be at his parents house visiting while his uh, his sister and his nephew are in town. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have the place to myself for a few days. So that's probably when I'm going to do my wrapping because historically that's when I've always done my wrapping. He'll sometimes spend an extra day at his parents house like before Christmas Eve. So when I have the when I have the place to myself, I'm just like surrounded by like wrapping paper and stuff. And I've got something on TV. But Mm -hmm. he, of course, is ahead of everything because he's got to bring some gifts down to their place when he when he leaves on Friday. But uh, so he's like he's been on top of it. Me, I'm just like, yeah, I'll I'll get to that later. (laughs) Yeah, I like hate wrapping presents and I'm terrible at it. And like legitimately, like my nephews have like made fun of me. (laughs) <laughs> for like the th- presents that I've handed them, they're like, "What is what is happening here?" And I'm like, "Look, guys, just be happy that you have a present. <laughs> Don't judge me on my terrible wrapping skills. Like I'm the person who like doesn't like. I finally like learned to like wrap up my boxes completely to make sure I've cut enough wrapping paper because I 100% have cut it and then been like, "Oh my god, this is way too short," and just had like a giant gap <laughs> in the. Like, I am that person. I, if I had the choice, I would just put everything in bags. I was going to say gift bags. Gift bags. Yeah. So, like, for the most part, like, if I have to get presents for adults, I usually put them in gift bags. But because I have, like, little kids, I, I know they, like, love, like, opening and, like, ripping the paper and stuff like that. So I, like, try to give some effort for them. So. I had a friend who didn't, like, this was back in middle school, but she didn't know how to wrap anything. So she would just, like, roll it in wrapping paper and no matter what it was and then tie off the ends like a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> yes. That's a amazing oh my gosh (laughs) so you could try that strategy (laughs) everyone's just getting misshapen tootsie rolls for christmas (laughs) see i like to imagine it like uh the middle part of that would be the tootsie roll is like perfectly outlined in the shape of whatever the gift is so you can like clearly see tell what it is and it just has the ends twisted off (laughs) that would be talent that would be talent oh okay so if you are joining us for the first time, welcome, 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 welcome. Um, we talk about mysteries and thrillers and everything in between. Um, this, uh, for example, this particular episode, we're going to be talking about our favorites of the uh, our favorite books of the year. So this Ooh. is going to be a fun one. Um, and if you, whether you're a new listener or a longtime listener, um, if you have any topics or questions or things that are happening in the news or adaptations you want to talk about, um, make sure to shoot us an email or find us on social media 
and uh, let us know because we we love hearing these ideas and we use them to uh, for future episodes. Um, we've gotten a couple of requests over the last couple of weeks, um, so we thank you if you have sent in if you have sent us a message already. Um, but yeah, we like to extend that invitation to to everyone um, because we find these these uh, suggestions super helpful and interesting, and we just like hearing from everyone. So we'll have our contact information at the bottom of the show. Um, but to kick us off, we've got a few uh, news items for this week. Um, a couple of quick ones. Uh, first is that uh, True Detective season three has a um, has a premiere date for January thirteenth of, of well next year, obviously. Um, that's going to be on HBO again, and there is a trailer for season three. If you uh, if you want to check that out, um, I, I haven't had a chance to watch the trailer yet, but I think uh, Blaine has my husband, and he said he he thinks it focuses on missing children, and and of course I just went oh yay I love missing children, and then I'm like oh god <laughs> wait a minute hang on here, so. So I'm like, okay, well, I just realized I'm a terrible person, um, but um, I'm hopefully season three will be better than season two. Um, so if you are, so if you're, if you're hope, been looking forward to season three and hoping it's been an improvement over season two, we will find out on January thirteenth. Um, and then we also got some seriously exciting news. Roxanne Gay announced that she is going to be doing an upcoming crime graphic novel called The Banks, which is about three generations of black women in Chicago who are also master thieves. And as soon as she just posted a status or she posted a, a she tweeted. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. She tweeted. <laughs> she uh <laughs> She tweeted this um, a few days ago, and as soon as I saw it, I just went, um, I want this now. Like, now. Where, where is it? I want it in my hands right now. So, unfortunately, I don't have any additional information beyond the fact that Roxanne Gay is indeed doing this. Um, but this is something I will definitely be keeping my eyes out for. So, as soon as we have more information, like a publication date, we will let you guys know. <laughs> Yes, that's for sure. I'm very excited about that. And it also, I don't know if you said this, uh, it uh, takes place in Chicago, I think. Yes, it does. So, you know, always going to enjoy that. Yes. Um, and then one more thing. Um, it was recently announced that Hulu is teaming up with John Grisham. And they're launching what they're calling the Grisham Universe. Uh, so they are basically... Uh, going to be launching two scripted series based on The Rainmaker and Rogue Lawyer. And they're going to be set basically in the same world. And they're saying there's they're going to be like two separate shows. But again, they take place in the same world. And there's probably going to be some crossover between them. Um, I'm honestly like very surprised that John Grisham's stuff hasn't been I mean obviously I know that like a bunch of his stuff was made into movies and maybe that's why um but I feel like his books are like made for like that procedural TV show format um so I'm kind of surprised that they haven't been picked up before uh so yes that's happening um I don't think there is a release date for this yet 
from what I can see from this Hollywood Reporter uh, story. But uh, it's going to be adapted by uh, Michael Seisman, who worked on the show Code Black, and uh, Jason Richman, who worked on the show Detroit 187. Um, I've not heard of either of those shows, so I have no judgment on whether or not those are good things. Um, Oh, this is just like, it's still like a potential series. So I think that they still have to like make a pilot and do the whole general thing before it gets like officially picked up, but they are working on this. Um, So yes, if you are someone who enjoys John Grisham books, uh, that's a thing that could potentially be coming to Hulu soon. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that hasn't happened before as well. I mean, he's got, Lord knows he's got enough books. Yeah, seriously. And and it's kind of interesting and smart to like place them in the same world. Like in my head, I was like, oh, it's going to be like, the DC universe but for John Grisham because like the first I was trying to think about like shows that take place in the same world and have a uh, crossover and the first thing I thought of was the Flash and Arrow <laughs> and yeah. I was like oh it'll be like that but I mean it's probably closer to like like all the Chicago shows that are on right now like Chicago Fire Chicago PD like you know they're yeah. all based in Chicago and I think there is some crossover sometimes between those shows but I could be lying because I don't actually watch any of them so yeah. well and didn't didn't Hulu also do Castle Rock Oh yeah, they did with, with the with Stephen King's characters and stuff. I yes. mean, that itself is one show, but it pulls references from a bunch of his books. So right. they they have this kind of like expanded universe thing. They've got some experience with that. Yeah, I. It's like yeah, I just feel like it's nice when like uh, networks and whatever are willing to like expand world building and things like that because that's a thing like a lot of people like really get into. Yeah, for sure. All right, so before we jump into our favorite books of the year, um, I've got our first sponsor, which is us, or should I say um, the Read Harder Journal um, created by Book Riot. This smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began back in 2015 to encourage readers pick up Passover books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will be rewarding, and five book recommendations that will fulfill the challenge. This is a great gift for readers. It includes a graph to track reading over the course of a year, a fill-in TBR pile, uh, it's a flexi-bound journal with color illustrations throughout, an elastic closure, a ribbon marker to hold your play, hold your page. What more could you ask for? Um, so again, that is the official Book Riot Read Harder Journal, and we thank them for sponsoring the show, and that's actually a good uh, time to mention that the 2019 Read Harder Challenge has been published. So if you have not seen that on the website, please make sure to check it out. They've got some really interesting challenges coming up for next year. Also, I've seen uh, the Book Riot Journal like in the wild, and it's a, it is a very nice journal. I highly recommend it. So, like, if uh, you want to get someone a belated Christmas gift, because you know by the time you're listening to this, it's probably too late, but <laughs> to get them like something on time. But you know, if you uh, were like, hey, I'm not going to see this person till after the New Year or something, this would be a great present. <laughs> yes, it, it could be a New Year's gift. Yeah. I mean, why don't we do that? I yeah, mean, I, let's start a tradition. <laughs> I, like, I like that this ad turned into start a new tradition and just give people gifts on the New Year's. <laughs> <'Cause we're, laughs> 
All right. Uh, like Katie was saying, this episode, we are going to be talking about our favorites of the year. Um, and so to like stir things off, we just wanted to mention like some of our mutual favorites uh, because we both there have been some really great books that came out this year that both of us have read and both of us have loved. Um, so, Katie, do you want to do just sort of like a quick rundown? And also, these are books that we've talked about a lot on the <laughs> podcast. So we didn't want to like make this whole episode like we literally did an entire episode on ton of French. So like... We don't We've need to talk about it. We've done two episodes on Tana French. That is actually true. <laughs> We've just done one episode on this particular book. Um, so yeah, when Katie and I were talking, like brainstorming for this episode and stuff like that, she was like, yeah, maybe we should like not talk about the ones that we keep talking about in every other episode. Um, so yeah, Katie, do you want to talk about the ones that we decided are, are sort of like our mutual all-time favorites that we probably will mention again in the future? <laughs> oh yeah. No, we definitely will mention them in the future, but consider this like... Consider Consider this like a, a short but definitive list of books that you really should read if you haven't already. So the books that we will not be talking about for this episode, um, My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Braywathate. Um, yeah, we've talked about that a lot. Short, really powerful, darkly funny, nasty, sharp multi-layered book. It's amazing, and it's got one of the best covers I've ever seen. Um, there is The Witch Elm by Tana French, which, like we said, we did an episode on that not that long ago. Um, we've done an episode just on the amazingness that is Tana French. If, at this point, you don't know that we love Tana French, you must be a new listener to the show. Um, uh, also, The Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Masi, which I think in the last episode I mentioned that I keep recommending this book and that I've probably mentioned it too many times, so I was, so, um, this is, this is me not mentioning it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yes, it's fabulous, feminist, historical, somewhat cozy mystery, but it's got a lot of depth to it, um, set in historical 1920s Bombay. It's, oh my gosh, I can't say enough about this book. It's, it's so, it's so interesting, and the writing is so fabulous, and she, um, the second book in the series will be published, uh, next year, I think, like, in the early part of, like, in the spring or something like that. So we'll be talking about that book at that point. Um, and then finally, Finally, The Feather Thief by Kirk Johnson, um, which is nonviolent true crime. It's one of the most bonkers true uh, nonfiction books I've ever read about a 20-year-old American flautist studying uh, music in England who decided that he was going to rob a British museum, and he took hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of dead bird skin so that he could continue uh, his obsession with the Victorian art of salmon fly tying. And that's really all you need to know, because if that that premise doesn't grab you, then I I just don't know. Um, (laughs) But it's bonkers, and it's so interesting that I never thought I would love a book like this as much as I do, and we've talked about it a lot. So, um, so yeah, those are kind of our four... um, our four, uh, our greatest hits of the year. So make sure to read those. And then we've got a bunch of other books that we're going to be talking about this episode as well. So uh, it's reversed from what we have in our uh, Word document. But Rincey, why don't you you kick us off with your favorite fiction pick? Yeah, so since, like, all of those were taken, I was thinking about... Uh, what other front list books that I've read this year that I've really, really enjoyed. Um, and one that I read really early this year, I think, or not, I think it came out really early, like in January or February of this year. Um, but I didn't read it until the summer, but I really enjoyed it. It's Two Girls Down 
by Louisa Luna. Um, this is kind of a standard detective story, or yeah, like private eye sort of story. Um, it takes place in this small town in Pennsylvania, and these two young sisters end up disappearing from like a strip mall parking lot. And so their mother hires this bounty hunt, bounty hunter named Alice Vega to help her find the girls. Um, so she like heads to the small town. She like goes to the police station and like starts to ask them just some like basic questions like, Hey, I got hired by the mom to look into this case. Can you give me some of the information about the case or let me, you know, help out with like your search and stuff like that. And they basically tell her no. Um, and they don't like appreciate outsiders coming in and doing their jobs for them and blah, 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 typical police stuff. Um, and so then she uh, reaches out to a disgraced former cop named Max Kaplan. Um, and he like has this huge scandal that happened in his past, hence why he's a disgraced cop. Um, and so he's trying to like move forward. And so he started doing his own like private detective work. And so when um, Alice Vega reaches out, um, she, he like originally doesn't want to help because, you know, he has this sort of like difficult history with the police department and he's trying not to cause more trouble. But like the more that she keeps asking questions and looking into things, the more that he ends up getting pulled into the story. Um, and yeah, it's just like, like from the premise, it sounds like you're like pretty standard. Oh, sorry. Uh, pretty standard mystery. But there's something about the chemistry between the two main characters that was just like so enjoyable. Um, I like mentioned, I know I've talked about this uh, book when I first read it. And the thing I think really drew me in or really made me love it so much is for some the way that cap is written he reminds me so much of keith mars from veronica mars um and so i feel like if you just imagine that character being played by that actor it really like enhances the experience um but there's just something very endearing it's not like because alex vega is very much like that hard exterior type of person cap is like a dad um and again like a disgraced cop working as a private eye and like them looking into this case like it's there's something about it that's very heartwarming but it's not like they're mushy or anything like that um they just work really well together and for some reason like they have a lot of chemistry off the page. Um, but the mystery itself is also really interesting. Like there are a lot of like potential suspects and a lot of ways that this story could potentially go. Um, it does flip back and forth in time. So you get to see a little bit from uh, what's happening with the girls. So it's not like everything is a complete surprise in the end. Uh, it's not like a whodunit or anything like that. Uh, but just sort of getting to the resolution itself is is it's a really fun ride and it's a really good book. And I'm kind of hoping that um, Louisa Luna writes more books from these characters' points of view because I would love to just follow a whole series um, of just like Cap and Alex Vega working together on different stuff. I think she's supposed to come out with more books, but I don't know if anything has been like officially announced yet. Um, so yeah, I just really enjoyed it a whole lot. I, I think part of the reason why I was like, it kind of came out of nowhere for me. I never read anything by the author before, and but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so again, that one is Two Girls Down by Louisa Luna. 
Yeah, I I vaguely remember you talking about it when you first read it, but I don't remember the specifics. So I'm I'm glad that you that you mentioned this one. Yeah, um, and I think it's also one that like sort of flew under the radar a little bit. Um, it was I think a book of the month book. I think that's how I got a hold of it originally. Uh, okay. Um, so if you are a part of book of the month, you may have seen it through that. But outside of that, I feel like. No one really knew about it. Obviously, like so many books get published all the time. Uh, but this is one that I think is also slightly under the radar. So there's a very good chance that if you're listening to this, unless you remember me talking about it last time, that you haven't heard of it otherwise. Yeah. All right. Well, my fiction pick, um, I have talked about a couple times on the podcast, but um, it's The Hunger by Alma Katsu. Um, and this this is the book that's that's basically the basic premise is the Donner Party, but with something supernatural. Um, and so for me, that's just like, I'm like, well, when I first read about it and I was just like, Oh my God, I need this book immediately. And then after that episode was, um, was posted, the publisher reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want a copy of the book? And I said, heck yes, I do. Um, so, um, so I got to read it and it, it, it satisfied every, everything I could have wanted in that book. Like I, I think I read the first half of the book in like two, in like a single sitting, maybe Um, it's, I will say it definitely veers more towards horror um, because there is this possible supernatural element to it. Um, And it is really creepy. Um, But my library has it shelved as a mystery. It we talked about it on our podcast before, so gosh darn it, we're and this is this is mystery related. Um but yeah, so it, it follows the Donner Party as they make their their ill fated journey west. And they're um when the when the book starts, the the party is just met with this huge they've just or they're met with the with all of with this huge run of bad luck. Things like um, their supplies, they either go missing or go bad. The the oxen are getting injured. People are disappearing. There's a there's a, a child that they that is um, that is killed along the way, and it looks like something may like a creature, an animal may have killed him, or it may have been one of the people in the party. Um, there are rumors that one of the character that one of the female um, one of the women that's going along with the with the Donner party she may be uh, she may be a witch. Um, so they're right the, right off the bat. There's all of this suspicion and mistrust of each other. And um, and of what exactly is going on. So immediately there's this sense of like paranoia and kind of claustrophobia. Um, And then as the book progresses, you really start to get the sense that there is something evil stalking the Donner Party as they make their way west. But is that really the case? Because there's a lot of bad stuff going on within the very human people in the party as well. And it's just it's so it's the the tone and the mood of the book is just so spectacularly creepy and i it was just it was everything that i wanted in a book like at that moment and just in general like i love that type of book i read one um just a maybe about a month ago um that i don't think i mentioned on the show because it is definitely more horror than mystery or super uh, or suspense but um it was ararat by christopher golden which is kind of the same premise um that there's supposedly this de- this uh demonic presence on uh that is in mount uh is 
located in the in the mountain uh the forests of Mount Ararat where they think that they have discovered the uh the shipwrecked remains of Noah's ark um so that it's it's got kind of that that same thing there's a quote unquote historical element to it with this kind of supernatural lurking menace that's kind of hanging out in the background and you're not quite sure who to trust it's that's that's like one that's like one of my one of my favorite things in in creepy suspenseful books um and i also for the hunger i also gave it to a friend of mine who is also into those types of stories and she gave it back to me and her eyes were wide she was like oh my gosh she's like i finished this in like two sittings i could not put this down i could not go to bed because i needed to finish this book so if you don't take my word for it you can take my friend's word for it as well because she (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she backs me up on this. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for something and it's not, it's not super gory. So if that's something that, that you're not, that you're not into or you're a little wary of horror, um, it's really more about just kind of setting the tone and it's, it's just done so well. Um, and again, that's The Hunger by Alma Katsu. All right. Next up, uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite like nonfiction related picks and it- the one that I chose, I basically stole from our mutual list. Like it would have been on our mutual list, but I haven't read that many nonfiction books this year. Um, so I was just told Katie, I was like, I know this is a mutual fave, but I've, I'm just taking it for my own. Um, so <laughs> this is Bad Blood by John Kerry Rue. And again, it's one that we've talked about before on the podcast quite a bit. Um, it's a pretty popular book at this point, I feel like. Um, and but it's it's worth it. It's so well done. Like I'm still in so much awe of like how well this book was done. Um, it's a book I'm constantly recommending to people. Like I just started my new job a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about things we do for fun. And obviously I said I read a lot and they were like, oh, recommend a book. And like that this Bad Blood by John Carew has become my like go to blanket recommendation for people. Like it doesn't matter what you like. I think everyone should read Bad Blood because I think it's such a compelling book. Um, so if you aren't aware, uh, Bad Blood is uh, a an account of the biotech Silicon Valley startup Theranos um, and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes. So the company and Elizabeth Holmes uh, basically claimed that they were going to make these devices that with a single drop of blood, they would be able to do all of these sorts of tests or doctors would be able to do all of these sorts of tests um, with the machine uh, to like basically help doctors keep a better eye on um, their patient's health or like you know, uh, patients could take them home with them. So that way doctors could constantly monitor like how they're doing with like different medications or anything like that. Um, The whole idea was that uh, with a single drop of blood, so you don't have to give like, you know, vials of blood all the time in order to get tests done, um, you'll be able to do all these things. However, uh, this device didn't exist. And they basically lied um, about what they were creating. I mean, they were working on trying to get a device like this out in the world, uh, but it's so like unrealistic. And where our technology was at at that point, this all took place in like the 2010s ish, like 2010, 2012, somewhere around there. Um, and so, like, where technology was at that point, I mean, even where technology is now, um, it's basically impossible to do that. Uh, But they kept like lying and saying that they had the technology that worked. And then they would have like labs in the back that would do blood tests, um, 
like separate blood tests and then they would use like those results and said and say that the results had come from their machines. Um, they had made deals with like major corporations around the country, including like Walgreens and things like that to put these machines in stores. Um, there were just like so many lies. They took money from so much, so many different people, so many different investors. Um, and they were just constantly claiming that they were doing all of this work and it nothing nothing was working and they didn't have the technology and like finally like people who worked at the company were realizing like how terrible everything really was and how big of a fraud it really was um one of the things that the uh people at the top, the executives did is like they had like each department work very individually. So no one really knew what the other departments were doing. So people just assumed that like, even though this stuff wasn't working, maybe the other department's stuff was working better or things like that. Um, and eventually, like people started to realize that it wasn't like that at all, or at least a handful of people started to realize that. And then they started to uh, talk about it. And so John Kerry works for the Wall Street Journal, and he's the reporter who basically broke the story um, about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Um, and the thing with like all of this, too, is that it was like this huge Silicon Valley startup. Like It was considered a unicorn, uh, which basically means it got a $1 billion valuation. And yeah, like it was considered like one of the rising companies of Silicon Valley and yet it was all a complete lie. Um, so it's partially like the history of the company and how it got to that point. And then after a certain point, it switches over to like John Carrier's investigation and him talking about like how he was working on trying to find people who would be willing to talk to him and tell him the truth and how he was working to like confirm information in order to make sure he had all of his bases covered and things like that. But the story is so compelling. Um, I listened to it on audiobook and I like distinctly remember like I started this audiobook on a Saturday and I was like doing chores around the house, like cleaning and things like that. And I started like making up chores to do just so that way I would keep listening. Um, and then I finished listening to it on Sunday evening because I like could not stop listening. Like even though I knew about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, like I'd read the Wall Street Journal report when it came out and things like that. Um, but even if you know how everything's going to turn out, it's still like completely shocking the way that this company was run and how it was able to get away with everything. And uh, it's just so well done. It's so well written. It's so compelling. And it's just like completely bonkers. The fact that like this is an actual company that was able to get away with all of this. So yes, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. It's it's so good and it's worth all of the hype. Yeah. I totally 100% second everything you said, also with it being amazing on audio. That Yeah, I listened to it mostly while I was driving back and forth from work, and I would, like, like I think I, st I sat out in the parking lot in front of my apartment for, like, a minute or two just so I could finish up, like, a chapter or something in the audiobook. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I did give this book to a patron, like, yesterday or on monday i basically gave him the the non-violent book riot true crime starter kit <laughs> it's like this one the feather thief the dinosaur artist and he was in uh i think it was one the um was it the orchid thief he wanted to know yeah. if we had and i was just like i'm like dude i'm just gonna like pack you up with all these books um so for my nonfiction uh pick uh at the beginning i will say Trigger warnings for this book for rape and sexual assault, because um, this book is called A False Report, A True Story of Rape in America by T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong. So this book is kind of told in two parts. The first part 
uh, happened in 2008 when there was an 18-year-old woman named Marie who uh, reported a rape. Um, she was living in Seattle, and she reported that she was that she, someone broke in, into her house or her apartment and raped her. However, it was not long before the police were spending more time investigating her rather than the supposed crime. Um, there were people close to her that thought that she was fabricating part of her story because these certain small details didn't match up, and they reported their concerns to the police, and the police in turn basically dropped the investigation and started kind of trying to poke holes in her story. And eventually she broke down and, and said, yes, I you know, I made a false report and she was, and then, so they, they, um, I don't remember if they gave her like community service or find her or something, but she, but she was punished for this. And then the second part of the book fast forwards, uh, goes forward about a little over two years later in Colorado. Uh, there's a Colorado detective who starts, uh, she, she starts investigating a series of sexual assaults that are happening kind of in one particular area. And after she teams up with a, with a detective um, in, from another city in Colorado, uh, she realizes that these are all the work of one person, that they're, that this, that they're talking talking about a serial rapist. Um, and so it talks about that investigation. Well, if you can guess, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not giving, I'm not really giving away anything here. The investigation of the, of the uh, rapes and the assaults in Colorado lead them to evidence that supports Marie's claim, or Marie or Marie, I can't, I can't read my writing, um, but it supports her claim that she was raped back in 2008. And so the book, it kind of comes full circle in that way. But so while they're talking about this, you know, these crimes that actually happened, there's also this discussion going on of why we are so inclined to not believe rape victims and whether it's our you know friends and family the general public the police um there's it really kind of digs into like the history of skepticism that our culture has towards rape victims and why it's so much easier to to disbelieve them than to than to believe what to believe the the crimes that they are reporting and why it's so difficult for people to to report crimes. I mean, essentially, they they came up with hard evidence that that proved that this woman was telling the truth, and yet she was the police pressured her so much that she that she was basically kind of coerced into giving a false into admitting that she gave a false report. So it's this is a really thin book and I I kind of wish it was longer just because I feel like there's so much to delve into. This book will make you mad. <laughs> like I read this book. It's a, it's a fast read. It's a compelling read and it's a very infuriating read. Um and it just it's yeah, it's it's a book you read if if you're okay with feeling mad for a while. Um but it's I think it's a really important book and it's you know, it's just a small part of this this ongoing 
you know, it's this, I want to call it an epidemic, but that, that's not quite the right, the right word, but this, this ongoing perception of women as liars and as deceivers, we, uh, women can't be trusted, um, and all, and these negative cultural attitudes toward, towards women. There's just, there's so much to unpack here. And I'm hoping that this is just like the first of many books that kind of, well, I mean, it's not the first book. I mean, there, there are plenty of other books that have talked about this, but it, I think it just takes a really important important look at this topic. Um, and again, that is A False Report, A tr- uh, True Story of Rape in America by T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong. All right. So before we jump into um, our last picks, I want to do our second sponsor. And so our second sponsor for this episode is Before We Were Strangers by Brenda Novak. The official story was that Sloane's mother abandoned the family, which hadn't sat any better at the time than it did when Sloane moved out at 18. But not, but not even a fresh start in New York could keep the nightmares at bay, or her fears that the domineering father she grew up with wasn't just difficult, he was deadly. Now, another traumatic loss forces Sloane to realize she owes it to her mother to find out the truth, even if it means returning to a small town full of secrets and lies, a jilted ex-boyfriend, and a father and a brother who would rather see her silenced. So this is the new must-read thriller from New York Times bestselling author Brendan Novak. Um, This book is being recommended for fans of Alison Brennan, Lisa Jackson, and Sandra Brown. Um, So again, that one is called Before We Were Strangers by Brenda Novak. And thanks so much for sponsoring this episode. All right. Um, So our final picks that we are going to be talking about are our favorite backlist books that we read. Um, Katie and I both read a lot of backlists. And so we feel like just highlighting our favorites that came out this year would be like a disservice to some of the great books that we finally got around to reading ourselves. Um, So the one that I picked is one that... Again, I feel like I talk about this book all the time, uh, but I just love it so much. And I thought it was so fantastic. And it's The Devotion of Suspect X by Kigo Hikoshino. So this is a Japanese mystery book that came out, I want to say like 2012. I didn't actually write this information down. Um, But uh, this is actually like a pretty popular book because it was also adapted um, into a movie. Uh, So that's a thing that if you're interested in that. So this is the third book in Kiko Higashino's Detective Galileo series. Um, So the story starts off and you are following this single mom um, named Yasuko who's divorced um, and she's basically been trying to escape her ex-husband, but her ex-husband like keeps finding her and like finding her at work and harassing her for money and things like that. Um, And then one day, he shows up um, at their apartment and he's threatening both. She's like trying to tell him no and get him to leave and things like that. And he's threatening both her and her daughter and the situation escalates and the ex-husband ends up dead in their apartment. Uh, Their next door neighbor um, ends up hearing the argument and goes over there and sees like the dead body on the floor. And he tells the neighbor that he will help them uh, get rid of the body as well as help them come up with like the perfect airtight alibi. And then the story sort of like flashes forward to the next morning when the police are finding the body. Um, and then you sort of flash back and forth between uh, the te- detectives who are trying to solve the mystery as well as um, 
following the neighbor and the mom and the daughter and things like that as they are like, you know, obviously being questioned by the police and things like that. Um, and yeah, that's the basic idea of like you as a reader, like have a certain set of information. So, you know, a little bit more obviously than the detectives know. Um, but then also like the detectives are finding out more information that the reader doesn't necessarily get to know until later on. And like the way this book is constructed and the way the mystery plays out is just so well done. It's like legitimately one of the best whodunit puzzle mystery books. Um, I feel like this is like a great modern example of like books to read if you like the Sherlock Holmeses or like the Agatha Christie's, things like that, where you as a reader are also kind of just trying to see where the story is going. Um, obviously, it's not exactly the same because you already know whodunit, um, but just sort of following along as the detectives are looking into the case and you like as a reader you're wondering like are the detectives going to figure it out and if so how are they going to put it all together but also like you as the reader don't know what the perfect plan and perfect alibi is so you are also like getting pieces of the puzzle and trying to figure out what everything is that uh this neighbor has come up with and it's like such a smart well laid out story and like the way the story progresses, it has some like really interesting twists and turns to it. Um, so even though you technically know who done it, there's still like a lot of really great surprises like through until the very end. Um, it was a book I could not put down and it was one of those books that I just ended up picking up super randomly. Like I don't even remember how I ended up hearing about this book, but I'm so glad that I finally read it because now I know I'm going to go and read like all of Kigo Higashino's books. Like I know he just came out with a new one. I think it's called The Newcomer, I want to say. Um, but yeah, like he is definitely going to be an author that I binge read now. Um, so if you are someone who enjoys like a good puzzle mystery book, um, then I cannot recommend highly enough The Devotion of Suspect X by Kiko Higashino. Yeah, I I think you read it after I did. I read it for an episode on the podcast, and then you read it like a few months later, I think. Yeah, actually, yes, that is right. And <laughs> so it's probably your fault that I read this. So thank you, Katie. <laughs> I, I will accept that blame. Because, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one a lot, too. Um, okay, so... Uh, real quickly, I'll try to run through this because I know we're coming up on the on the uh, end part of our show. Um, but my backlist pick is Beneath the Mountain by Luca D'Andrea. And it's not really that much of a backlist pick because I think it was published uh, last year, but it's close enough and I wanted to talk about it again. Um, this book was translated from the Italian, I believe. Um, and the main character is Jeremiah Salinger. He's a uh, documentary producer. He's part of a documentary team from New York. And he and his wife travel overseas to live in this area of the Dolomites, kind of where Italy and Germany meet, um, because that's where his wife is from. It's this small little town in the Dolomite Mountains called Siebenhock. And while they're there, Jeremiah, um, he learns that his father-in-law is part of this uh, basically founded this mountain rescue team. Um, and so he wants to produce a documentary about them. And so he joins, uh, he joins the crew on a, um, on a flight into the, into the mountains on a rescue mission. Um, but it, something goes horribly wrong. And basically Jeremiah is the only survivor. Um, his father-in-law was not, was not on the ground. So his father-in-law lives, but Jeremiah um, lives while everyone else on the crew, on the crew um, who is on that mission dies. 
and uh, Ziebenhock, the the citizens of Ziebenhock are there. It's a very close lipped, tight knit community, and Jeremiah is already kind of on the outside just because he, you know, he's literally coming in from another country. But now he's the only survivor, and so he's really like not like they they are really um, not. Is not a fan of his. They they think that he endangered the mission. He has to deal with all of these hostile feelings. Um, and as he deals with his injuries, his PTSD, um, the kind of general uh, climate in town, uh, Jeremiah overhears a story of a of uh, three murders that took place in 1985. These these gruesome murders of these young. Um, of these young people in their early 20s where they were basically dismembered in um, um, in a nearby mountain gorge. And no one, it's kind of a town secret. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to admit it happened. No one wants to give him more information. But the more Jeremiah kind of learns about this, the more obsessed with the story he becomes. And he believes like this is kind of like his, the, his one thing that will bring him back to sanity if he can find out what happened. So... Naturally, this does not go over well. Um, this book is, it's, the, the plot is com- is kind of complex. The story is, um, the story is so atmospheric, and it kind of moves along. It's not a fast-paced book. I listen to it on audio, but it is so engrossing. You feel like you're there. Like, this, it's been at least six or seven months since I listened to this audiobook. I still can remember very well what that book feels like. It's dark. It's creepy. You get, but you get such a sense of the place that, that where this is, where this is taking place, like the mountains and the, the scenery kind of becomes its own character. And the, the story itself is just, it kind of meanders a little bit, but you never worry that the author is going to go off the rails. Like you feel like the, the author knows what he's doing. And it was, it was just so different from other stuff that I had read. And it's honestly, it's a book that I would love to go back and and re-listen to just because I can hear the narrator in my voice or in, in my head and I can hear his voice as he's pronouncing, you know, these, these uh, places. And it just, it, it was so, so, so compelling. The characters are so well-rounded and the, the mystery of the, of these gruesome murders is, is so well done. Like, the, this book just oozes atmosphere, um, and so so yeah, it's it's the, it's a fantastic story by itself, but it's also just fantastic on audio too. Um, so again, that is Beneath the Mountain by Luca D'Andrea. All right, so to wrap things up really quickly, um, we can talk about what we've been reading lately. Um, I'll start and just say I haven't read anything <laughs> like I've read. Uh, maybe two books is since the last time we recorded, which uh, to some people is probably not that is a lot. Um, but for me, that's not very much. I have not had very much time to read lately. Um, but I did start reading Dark Places by Gillian Flynn. Yeah, (laughs) I knew that was gonna make you happy. It's like I haven't read Grown Up, the Grown Up, the what her little novella. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah, so like I still have that one to read, but Dark Places was basically like her last uh, novel that I had, and I'm not very far in. I'm I uh, I don't want to say what part I'm at because who knows if that's considered a spoiler. But I'm maybe like ten percent in. Like she had just met the people or the guy to go to the place for the thing. I don't know if that's gonna make any sense. <laughs> 
That was like, not spoiler way of trying to hint at where I am in the book. But it's not very far. I know what you're talking far. about. <laughs> See, that's what, so I, that's what I figured. If you've read the book, you know what I mean. But yeah, that, so I'm not far in at all. Oh, God, that has to be the title of the episode. <laughs> she meets the guy to go to the place to talk about the thing. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I haven't, uh, I haven't finished much. Although I did finish Pet Cemetery with the new audio recording with Michael C. Hall. That is pure outright horror. Um, but it was that was a brilliant audio book. I loved it. Um, and uh, I am now finally starting Lethal White by Robert Galbraith. Yay! Yay! Except I realized when I opened the audiobook, I just finished disc three. Disc four, the previous person who had it checked out put a note on there saying disc four has disc seven content on it, and it does. So I have to now, like, read... The I figure out where disc four picks up, where mm. disc five picks up. Find that part in the print bur- in the print book. Read that, and then I can get back to the audio version. But I'm like, how did this happen? Like it says disc four and everything, but you put in disc seven, or you put it in, and it starts. It's like chapter twenty five, and it's like, and it says on there like disc seven, track one. I'm like, no, what happened? So I am most upset about that. However, the book is is very compelling. It's it's I mean, it's taken a while to get to the actual like mystery part or to like yes. kind of unravel, but I'm just so interested in the characters that I just I'm just I just don't even care. I'm just I'm just I'm just riding along listening to finding out what's going on in Robin's life and all this other stuff and I've got feelings. So far, let me tell you, I won't talk about what those feelings are, but I've got feelings. Um, so I am hopefully going to figure out this missing part of the audiobook, read it in print, and then immediately get back to the audio because this is one I can tell I'm just going to chug through. Yeah, I have feelings about that book, but again, we can wait until after. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone uh, for, you know, coming and joining us along for another year of Red or Dead. I mean, I know it's not exactly a year, but, you know, we got through 2018 together. Um, so <laughs> That's an accomplishment. Honestly, though, it really is. It's been a year. Um, so for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have links to the news stories that we talked about at the top of the show, as well as links to all of the books that we talked about. Um, this is especially an episode where I hope that you you guys will check out some of the books that we have mentioned here, um, especially the ones that we've mentioned over and over again. Hopefully this is the time that we convince you to pick those up. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us and join our community of mystery, thriller, suspense, true crime fans. Um, if you want to send us an email with uh, episode recommendations or suggestions for the future, or if you want to maybe tell us your favorite books of the year or anything along those lines, we love getting emails from you guys. Uh, you can send it to dead at bookriot.com. That's R-E-A-D or dead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.